Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to talk about the Denver Nuggets offense today. As we go through practice, we'll go through around the league just a little bit in that first segment, but the majority of this podcast is going to be sort of the inverse of the Nuggets defense podcast that I did in this last one. There was a lot of negative I tried to keep it positive, especially because I think that there is going to be a little bit of a shift in that defensive rating over the course of these next couple months. But what does that mean for the offense? What does it mean for this Nuggets unit? I'm going to go kind of through that same process in the second and third segments just so that everybody can appreciate, man, this offense is really good. Sometimes the defense, it doesn't even really matter if the offense can be that good. However, defense is still very important. Offense isn't going to carry the day the entire time. I, of course, know that. Michael Malone knows that. He's been preaching it the entire time. So at some point, there will be a flip. The defense will improve. Will the offense change at that point? We're just going to have to see. But for now, in this first segment, we're going to go quickly through practice. There just wasn't a lot in practice that I really cared to discuss. Just not a ton of excessive content. I thought there were some good things that came out of Monday's practice where you off for the first time, get a lot of your good questions out in that first session. And then the second session, it's like, hey, so uh, do anything different in the last 24 hours? No? Okay. So what they really did differently this time around uh, was rather than going through a 30-30 day, which was basically half of the team does lifting half of the team is on the court for 30 minutes each then then they switch that was what they did in their rest and recovery day this time they did more live stuff this time they did more preparation for Monte Morris Will Barton and the Washington Wizards i'm not sure if they're actually prepping for those guys specifically i know they're prepping for Kristaps Porzingis and Kyle Kuzma and the guys that have been on the court for most of the time Will Barton did just come back from a brief absence. He put up a pretty reasonable stat line in his most recent game. So don't want to take it too lightly. And honestly, it's more of just a celebration. Those guys coming back, being in the building, very similar to what happened when Gary Harris came back, although his return was so abrupt after uh, Denver had initially traded him. This time around, there's been an offseason with Monte and Will This was pretty clearly going to happen, or at least something similar to this. And Denver, it was always going to be kind of a thing that they needed to take a step in the right direction defensively. Obviously, that hasn't borne out in the numbers so far, and we're going to have to figure that out. It is pretty funny that Denver's got a better net rating with Monte Morris and Will Barton than they do with Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, KCP, Bruce Brown, and all those guys surrounding Nikola Jokic. So we're going to we're going to see what happens in this one, but I do think that Monte's probably not going to play from what I understand and then will he'll play, but I do think that Denver's going to give those guys some uh return videos, uh, some uh what what are those called the thank you videos? Uh I I don't even know what what to, what they're really called. So it is what it is, should be a lot of fun, should be interesting to see what the Nuggets have in store. But the no, to really, really understand this, I think the Nuggets know that they're in a good place at this point. I think that came through. We spoke to Michael Malone. We spoke to Nikola Jokic. 
There are some detail stuff that's going on, but for the most part, I think the Nuggets understand that they have an opportunity here and that they need to take advantage of this home stretch where you are at home, you're in a comfortable environment, you're in a better place where you can uh, get into great shape, where you can understand the defensive concepts, you can do everything that you need to do to be the best team possible in this environment. And I'm going to talk about why that benefits the offense here pretty soon. But I did ask Mike Malone about some combinations that he has liked so far, some different lineups that he has uh, liked through the first 26 games of the season. I knew full well that the answer that I was going to get to this one wasn't necessarily going to be the most illuminating because when Michael Malone says something about lineups and players, it is often taken as a quote and then turned around and said, okay, so you didn't mention this person. You didn't mention that person. That is a big deal. And so I'm just going to tell you what he said. It was saying both of the starters, both sets of the starters where you've got the group with Michael Porter, where that group has been very, very good, and you have the group with Bruce Brown in place of Porter, where that group hasn't been as good lately. I don't think that Denver's had as much benefit from that group as they have in, I think, the early parts of the season, but it's still been pretty good overall. But he also mentioned the most recent bench group of Bones Highland, Jamal Murray, Christian Brown, Jeff Green, and DeAndre Jordan. That lineup has only played two games. It's the two most recent games. It's the one that Denver's gone to so far in each of these last games. But in those two games, the Nuggets are plus eight in 16 total minutes. They have a 130 offensive rating, 100 defensive rating, plus 30 net rating. That is such a small sample size that I don't really expect that to stick. I'm not expecting anything like that to really save Denver at this point. But it is interesting that that's the group where you have Bruce Brown out, you have Jamal Murray in, you have Christian Brown in, and then you've got Bones, Jeff, and DeAndre kind of as your your main trio that's been in a lot of these bench lineups lately. Michael Malone did say that he's always tinkering, that they're never done with trying to find the best lineups that they possibly can. And I firmly believe him. He's still in search mode in terms of what the best bench group is. And I have to imagine that when Michael Porter does come back, it's not going to be on Wednesday. Small chances it's Friday, more likely it's Sunday. When Porter does ultimately come back, going to be interesting to see what happens to this rotation if you're if you're basically fully healthy. You've got your starters, but then you're moving Bruce Brown back to the bench where he has been horrible, or at least the team has been horrible when he has been on the court. So I'm curious to see what that looks like and how that's going to evolve. Is Jamal still going to rotate with the second unit? Is Michael Porter going to rotate with the second unit? What happens to Christian Brown? Is he eliminated from the rotation at that point? Do they just go with Bones, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan? That lineup has not been good. I'm curious. I think Denver needs that other scorer out there, and Jamal has provided that in this limited kind of subset. But Denver's got to still be searching. I'm curious to see what they ultimately come up with and what Michael Malone decides to do. But I do think that being at home, you can tinker with a lot of different things, knowing that you're going to get good performances from a lot of your young guys for sure. 
think Vlako Chanchar has not seen the last of the rotation minutes. I think Zeke Naji will still get an opportunity here or there. But right now, I think Bones, Jamal, Christian Brown, Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan, that is the lineup that's going to see the bulk of that backup unit. And we will see if that continues. But for now, that's what it looks like. Now, briefly, before we go into the Nuggets offense, I do want to check in on the the Western and Eastern Conference standings here. Let's start with the East real quick. I wanted to – actually, let me be honest. I was lazy in recording this podcast. I was taking my time doing the show notes, trying to get up all the numbers as as best as I can. Then I got distracted with YouTube and basketball and chess and yada, yada, yada. But I'm recording this super late. I did get to catch the end of the Celtics-Lakers game, which went to overtime. Impressive comeback from the Celtics right at the end. They ultimately pulled it out in OT. Very, very good. They were sliding a bit, but they're now 22-7 and back at the top of the East and just look like the best team in the NBA right now, just objectively with their point differential, but also just the way that they're winning and the way that they're playing. Their offense is just unstoppable. Now, Milwaukee, second in the East at 20-7. and They're still dominant, and they're dominant from a defensive perspective. They still have some offensive capabilities, and when you get Chris Middleton back, that's going to be helpful. But the identity of their group is a grinded out defensive team now. And they've had some success with that. They've had some not so success with that. But most important thing is that I just think that the Celtics and the Bucks are the two top teams in the NBA right now. And there really isn't another competitor there. No team is playing as well as those two. Third in the East is the Cavs. They're a half game above the Nets. Cavs have been pretty casually good, uh, though they are 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. The Nets, surprising recovery for them. They are 17-12, 8-2 in their last 10 games. Kevin Durant has been on a tear. The Sixers are at 5. They survived at absences from James Harden and now Tyrese Maxey continuing, but they've now figured, out, figured it out and are playing really well. DeAnthony Melton, surprise, surprise, really good player. And then the Knicks, they are the token sixth seed. They're 14 and 13. We have two teams that are 14 and 14 behind them, as well as the 13 and 14 Toronto Raptors and 13 and 15 Miami Heat. Neither of those teams have been very good. They have certainly not separated themselves from what is the middle tier of that Eastern Conference. And it's not really a surprise. Like, I think that's well, actually, I guess that is a surprise. Toronto, you had a lot of expectations. Miami, They're always kind of grandfathered into that conversation of the good playoff teams. Neither of those teams have been great. They've been sort of meh. So not really a surprise in my opinion because I just – I actually said to bet under on Miami. I did say to bet over on Toronto, but that was more out of being bullied into it by the rest of NBA Twitter than anything. So going to be interesting to see what those teams look like going forward. Now the top of the West – I'll do the same process here. Number one, the Pelicans. Their record is 18 and 9. Top of the East, Boston Celtics are 22 and 7. So just a little bit behind the pace that Boston is setting. Boston's not setting a crazy pace. Like they're good. They're they're a really good record, but it's not like outlandishly good. Milwaukee, 20 and 7. New Orleans is third and 
Memphis is actually tied for them in the entire NBA with the third best record in the NBA at 18 and 9. So both of those teams, 18 and 9. Pelicans have been very good. They haven't played with uh, Brandon Ingram in a while. They're still trying to figure that out. But Zion Williamson, if he keeps playing like this, he will be in the MVP conversation. I don't think he is as good of a player as Nikola Jokic or Giannis or Embiid or Jason Tatum or some of these other guys at the top. But I do think that he's right in that next tier and they deserve a lot of credit. Their bench, really, really talented. And they've like Nuggets fans saw that firsthand with Jose Alvarado. The Grizzlies just looked this up on cleaning the glass. They have a top 10 offense and top 10 defense. I believe it's seventh in offense, fourth in defense. Really, really impressive. And they've done that without Jaron Jackson and Desmond Bain playing a single second together. That's impressive. That is an impressive thing for them to be able to survive that. They've just got a great formula that they like to go to. And they have a lot of players that they can throw out there and trust in different situations. But more than anything, Jaws been great. That's all you really need to know. The Nuggets are at three. They are now three by themselves at 16 and 10, a game and a half back of the first place Pelicans slash Grizzlies. The Phoenix Suns are now 16 and 12. They have lost five in a row and are going through a slump. They were 16 and 7 and were looking like the best team in the West once again. And lo and behold, they get some injuries, get some absences, and things kind of fall apart on them. I still think that they're good. I don't think that this is really a thing where you have to like just dismiss them at this point. I still think that when they get their guys back, most importantly, Devin Booker, they will be perfectly fine. But Portland is now on their heels at 15 and 12. If they win their next game, they will be ahead of Phoenix by virtue of, I think, head-to-head tiebreaker. And that would be an interesting thing. Portland, Nuggets fans know this. They're good. They're not like great. I don't think that Denver fans really respect Portland that much in terms of the actual Western Conference playoff picture. But they have won games. And with Damian Lillard out there, Jeremy Grant, Anthony Simons playing the way that they're playing, they're talented and can uh, do some crazy things on any given night. And then the Clippers are at six, 16 and 13. They're a game back of the Blazers. Actually, no, they're they're tied with the Blazers, basically. 15 and 12 versus 16 and 13. Uh, the Clippers are what they are. They should be at the top but they've had so many injury absences that it's not really a surprise that they are where they are. If they get their guys back, then great. They'll be in the picture. If not, then they won't. That's just pretty simple. Notable teams on the outside looking in. These are your 7 through 11 seeds. Sacramento, right behind the Clippers and the Blazers. Utah, Dallas, Golden State, and Minnesota. Golden State is 14 and 14. Minnesota, at the 11 seed just outside the plane is four, is 13 and 14. Those teams are pretty average right now. Nothing about their profiles say that they should be much better than what they actually are, other than the fact that Golden State won the NBA championship last year and Dallas was in the Western Conference Finals. And Minnesota was supposed to be a team that took a big step forward and won like 50 games. That is not going to happen. It doesn't look like 
Minnesota is now closer to the Los Angeles Lakers at 11 and 16 than they are to the Phoenix Suns at 16 and 12. It's not great. It's not a great place for them to be. And it's not looking very good for them. So they got uh, just absolutely hosed by Damian Lillard in his last game. I think that the West right now is just so topsy-turvy. And it has continued to be topsy-turvy for a while. You have nine teams with a positive point differential. The only And they're in the top 10. The only team that doesn't have a positive point differential is the LA Clippers, but they haven't had Kawhi Leonard. So you assume that if Kawhi is playing anything like what he's capable of, when he does come back, then the Clippers will be a much better team in general. So I'm curious to see what it looks like. But for now, let's take a break. When we come back, we will revisit this at some point. When we come back, we are going to go over the Denver Nuggets offense. Should be fun. We'll be right back. back. Pickaxe and Roll Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. want to tell you guys a little bit about our good friends at Superbook Sports. They're bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands, and now they'll match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if that bet wins or loses. You don't have to be at the stadium, the arena, or at the field to enjoy any of your sports. Just visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all of the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Alright, we're back. Let's get into this conversation about the Denver Nuggets offense. I want to start with the big numbers. Second segment, we're going to do stats and facts. Third segment, we're going to get into some more questions. First, Denver's offense, 117.9 offensive rating on cleaning the glass. That is second in the NBA behind the Boston Celtics. The Celtics are trending down a little bit. They were at like 121, 122. They're now down under 120. They're at 119.8. Denver's at 117.9. So it does sort of feel like Denver's kind of getting back into the swing of things here. And they might finish the NBA calendar the NBA season as the best offense in the league. We predicted that that was a possibility. We thought that that might happen. I'm not really surprised. What's interesting, and I don't think that a lot of people know this, is that in the half court, the Nuggets are merely good. They're not actually great. They are eighth in the NBA in points per play in the half court, according to Cleaning the Glass. 98.6 points per possession. It's not great. Uh, from just a a standpoint of that's your first shot. What the Nuggets do is they, when they do rebound those putbacks, when they get those offensive rebounds, they're very productive on those particular plays. So they make up some of those points per play numbers by getting some putbacks. That is a good thing. So Denver's ultimate points per play on putbacks is second in the NBA. That is made up for some of the Perceived weakness at at being just good at generating first shot opportunities. 
One of those reasons is Aaron Gordon at the front of the rim. If he misses, the reason why he's missed is because he's buried his guy so far under the rim that he's uncomfortable and accidentally misses a jumper or misses a floating layup. Uh, Nikola Jokic always likes to tip his own layups back. It happens. That's just sort of how Denver does it. The interesting addendum to that is that the Nuggets are the most efficient transition team in the NBA. And it's actually not close. The Nuggets are averaging 141.5 points per transition play. Points per 100 transition plays, excuse me. That is insanity. That just to put that into perspective, like if Michael Porter just sat in the corner and shot threes and hit 48% of his threes, that would be about like, and this is in a live game, that would be about the same percentage. That would be about the same points per play as everything Denver's running in transition. That is really, really good. Most teams do way better in transition than when they do normally because they're usually in an advantage situation and trying to push the tempo. But Denver's done really well here. The problem is, is they aren't getting out in transition that often. It's interesting to look at their frequency versus the frequency of the next ranked points per play team, which is Toronto. The Nuggets are getting out in transition 13.9% of the time. That is below average. It is 26th in the NBA. The Raptors are at 19% of their transition points. And so even though they are not necessarily as good, or, or they're, they're still really good, they're second in the NBA in points per play, but they are generating 5.78 points added per 100 possessions due to just being in transition. So it's making up for Toronto's half-court offense. Toronto isn't a great half-court offense. The Nuggets are a good half-court offense. But what's making their offense elite is taking advantage of those transition opportunities. And sometimes that's Jokic doing the hit-ahead pass. Sometimes that's Michael Porter dribbling into a transition three. Sometimes that's uh, Bones Highland pushing the tempo and then swinging it to a, a wing that's crashing the lane. Denver's got a bunch of different ways that they do it, but most important is getting the ball up the court quickly. Jokic does that super well. Now, same breakdown of the from the top from the defensive side of things that I did yesterday. We're going to break it down by the defense that Denver is facing. Denver's only played four games, and this is as of I think before the games tonight. So maybe the rankings have changed around a little bit, but Denver's played four games versus top ten defenses. Four out of twenty six is not a lot, by the way. So. Denver has to, I think they've got to prove themselves a little bit more from a, of against elite defenses, but so far they've passed pretty much every test offensively. The Nuggets rank first in the NBA in offensive rating by a mile against top 10 defenses. They have a 120.3 offensive rating. Denver only has a two and two record in those games because their defensive rating is 116.7 which ranks 25th, but they still have a positive point differential when they're facing really good defenses. And what that says to me is that Denver might be matchup proof, at least against like just the vast majority of teams. 
when it comes to elite defenses. Some defenses are going to give Denver some more issues than others. Like I think the Phoenix Suns would give them a few more issues. I think that Boston obviously gives them some more issues. And I think that the Lakers are probably one of those teams that's secretly a pretty good defense. But they give Denver issues because of their size and athleticism at times. But the vast majority of even the elite defenses in the NBA will struggle with Denver because of how unique they are and how talented Jokic is. The Nuggets have a point differential of a 49-win team. When they play against those top defenses, that is really, really good. Now, Denver has played nine games against the middle 10 defenses, so ranks 11 to 20, average defenses. And here's an interesting thing. The Nuggets rank 21st in offensive rating in those games, 110.9 points per 100 possessions in those games. That's not good. And it's also kind of surprising given that, okay, Denver scores 10 points per 100 possessions more against the elite defenses as opposed to the middle tier defenses. Seems a little odd. Why would that happen? I don't really have a great reason for that. If I just go through which of the teams are currently in the middle 10 among defensive ranks, you have Golden State, Atlanta. Okay, so Atlanta's one of them. Uh, New York without Jokic. You have Dallas, one of those games, or two of those games without Jokic and Murray. Or, yeah, two of those games without Jokic and Murray, I think. And Gordon. Uh, the Lakers, and then Indiana. Indiana secretly, not necessarily a great defensive ga- or great offensive game for Denver in that one but they just gutted it out. So some weird performances within there where Denver didn't have Nikola Jokic at that point. I don't think it's anything to write home about. I think the games against the top defenses are the ones that I really care about most. But Denver, they have a 116.4 defensive rating in those games against the middle 10, a 4-5 and record, and a point differential of a 27-win team. So they've played badly in that particular subset of games. That's pretty clear. They've played well against top 10 defenses, played badly against middle 10, and in the 13 games against bottom 10 defenses, which add up the top 10 defenses and middle 10 defenses, that's the same number of games that Denver's faced against bottom 10. The Nuggets rank third in offensive rating, so kind of back to normal here. 121.1 or 122.1 points per 100 in those games. That's great. That's a great number. Nothing really needs to change about that. Boston has a 129 offensive rating against bottom 10 defenses, which is just flat out incredible. But Denver, 10 and 3 record in those games, 10 and 3 in those 13. Their defensive rating is 115.9 in those games, which ranks 27th in the NBA. I think we have a pretty big culprit there. Of okay, you you've been scoring, you're you're getting into your rhythm, but you're not getting stops. The Nuggets just like a shootout. They they enjoy it. They don't necessarily feel the need to really go at some of these other teams when they're scoring as well as they are. That'll have to change, especially when it comes to January, February, March, April. But as Denver has shown, they're a 55 win team with their point differential in those games. They have a great record. Hard to really complain. I wouldn't make that big of a deal of it. 
So based off of their opponents, Denver's still been able to be successful against top 10 and bottom 10 defenses. Hasn't really mattered. Had some weird absences in the middle against those middle 10 defenses, but the top 10 versus bottom 10, basically any defense that they face, it doesn't really matter. Really is more just about the Nuggets and where they currently stand. If they have Jokic, they're going to be okay. If they have Murray and he's playing well, they're going to be really good. If they have Bones Highland and a strong uh, performer in the starting lineup that kind of goes along with Jokic and Murray, Denver's going to be great. That's really what's happened. Now, Denver's offensive rating when Nikola Jokic is on, 125 points per 100 possessions. Flat out incredible. 99th percentile, as close as you can get without being the very best offensive rating in the NBA. Denver's 98th percentile in their effective field goal percentage during that time, that is the most important aspect of this. They are making shots. They are generating good shots, taking and making shots at a high rate. But it's not just that. Their 52nd percentile in offensive rebounding, which is better than where it was. They weren't doing as well there. They're only 43rd percentile in free throw rate, which is something you kind of see when you have a really, really strong offense. You try to avoid contact at times. You don't necessarily go through players or try to get fouled. The Nuggets don't really need to do that when they're in the 98th percentile in EFG percentage. Also, 72nd percentile in turnover rate. They're not turning the ball over that much when Jokic is on the floor. Great signs all around. Now, flip that a little bit. The Nuggets, when Nikola Jokic is off the floor, are scoring 105.8 points per 100 possessions. That is in the 7th percentile. So as great as the offense has been when Jokic is out there, it is pretty horrible when he is not. 40th percentile in EFG percentage, that's not bad. Like It could be better, but it's not bad. The problem is that Denver's not really doing anything else to help themselves in those other moments. They're not grabbing as many offensive rebounds when Jokic is off the floor. They are not getting to the free throw line as much when Jokic is off the floor. And they are turning the ball over more when Jokic is on the floor on top of not making as many shots in general. So that's just kind of how the cookie crumbles, right? When you take the best offensive player in the world off of the floor, things are going to get pretty difficult. The Nuggets are still tinkering with those lineups. As I mentioned, the Bones-Murray combination might be one way that Denver can really make that work. But they're going to have to do some other things too. The offensive rating when Jokic is out there at center, 125. The offensive rating when DeAndre Jordan is at center, 108.9. So it's not like horrible, like in terms of offensive ratings around the NBA, 108.9 would be the 30th ranked offensive rating. It's just ahead of the Charlotte Hornets at 107.7. However, I do think that's that's tough. Like sometimes when you've got Bones Highland as opposed to Jamal Murray, when you've got uh not necessarily Bruce Brown, but Christian Brown is out there a lot of the time now. Davon Reed was out there a lot of the time. Jeff Green is not Aaron Gordon. There is no Michael Porter. It can be difficult to generate good offense 
when Jokic is off the floor. So I sympathize with DeAndre specifically. I don't think that he's the answer. I think that offensively he has such a low level of responsibility that the Nuggets are sometimes playing four on five when he doesn't set good enough screens or if Bones doesn't use the screens. When that's the situation, Bones has got to He's got to find ways to get everybody involved and hasn't quite done that well enough yet, but he's on his way. He'll be fine. Now, to be clear, the offensive rating when Zeke Naji is out there at center, 98.3, so 10 points per 100 possessions fewer than when DeAndre's out there. When Naji's at power forward, it's a little bit better, but it's not great. I do think that the Nuggets should continue to experiment with these rotations. Aaron Gordon probably needs some time with that second unit as well. Just makes a little bit of sense in order to generate some good looks consistently. Uh, because he can generate some good looks for himself by just powering through people at times. Sometimes he has the benefit of Jokic, but he's also good and has proven himself to be pretty good too. So it wouldn't surprise me if he could be a good screen and roll partner for Bones Highland. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to ask the big questions. Is Denver's offense good enough to win a title? What's the need? Where can they get better? What's the biggest important thing from this early stage? And can Denver even get better than where they were? We'll be right back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Apologies for this late podcast. I, I knew I wanted to get this up, though, before the game. I'm going to a Christmas party and actually won't be able to cover uh, Wednesday night's game in person. Not sure when I'm going to be able to watch that as well. So we'll do my best to get up content afterwards, get up a podcast afterwards. But we are just going to have to see what that looks like. But right now, want to know... What's the threshold for offense for Denver to be good enough to win a title? This is independent uh, this is dependent actually on Denver's defense because I just don't think that Denver even though we have seen uh, we've seen some improvement for sure or we can see some improvement for sure there's no doubt I don't think Denver's going to finish as the 28th offense or defense in the NBA that's just not going to happen But are they going to get up to 15? Are they going to get up to 12? Are they going to stay down at like 22? Like what's the the actual range there? Hypothetically, if Denver gets up to about 15, which is where I think that they'll be, I'm going to go with Denver has to be at least a top three offense, which good for them. It's currently where they are. They don't have to go very far in order to do that. They just kind of have to maintain. And that's an exciting prospect. That's an exciting that Denver has got themselves out to the stage where the offense really isn't the issue. A lot of the issues offensively have just kind of stemmed from, okay, is Jamal ready to go? Is Jokic willing to shoot? Is uh, Bruce Brown in a good space with the bench units? Is Bones Highland generating enough good looks on the inside and finishing well? Are the Nuggets making enough threes while Michael Porter's out? Things like that. 
But the most exciting thing about Denver's current offense is they're captained by the best player in the world offensively. Like, I don't think that there's any question about that at this stage. With what he has done, with how he continues to tie the room together, there's no doubt that he's in a great position to elevate what Denver does consistently. Now, how much better can Denver actually get? Because right now, it's hard to get better than I think I think they're second. I think that's what I said right now based off of cleaning the glass data. I think that Murray, MPJ, and Bones can all tangibly improve. I think Murray is on that way right now. He's still going to have some inconsistencies. I know that. And I know that people are going to probably overreact a little bit when he goes through a little bit of shooting slump or he's not getting as much lift as he needs to or maybe makes a weird decision here or there. But the fact is that that's going to plague him for most of this season, if not all of it. And he is going to probably not be as good as he needs to be until when he needs to be at his best, which is the playoffs. Denver will get a better version of Murray in the playoffs. I have no doubt about that. What they're going to get from Porter over these next few games, when he does come back, I'm not really sure. I trust in his talent. I trust in his ability to hit shots and just kind of stay confident when Jokic is out there on the floor. When Jokic is passing him the ball and when he's out there with Jokic, he just seems like a different player, more improved player, more confident player. And I think that Denver's not going to have that many opportunities where Jokic is off the floor anyway. So as long as MPJ is out there with Jokic, I think Denver's going to be good and he's going to get good opportunities himself. Now, Bones is one where I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what to expect. He's a second-year player. You expect those guys to continue to get better even during the season where you learn, you appreciate, you understand, and you kind of just gain the nuances of what's supposed to happen. Bones seems like a player that could definitely improve. I also think that as the playoffs get closer, you're going to get more Nikola Jokic, less DeAndre Jordan, and especially when the playoffs are around, like that's just not going to be an issue. So if Jokic is out there for all of Denver's minutes, Denver's offense is going to be really good, like objectively. He did that with Monte Morris, Will Barton, Jeff Green last year in the starting lineup. He can do it with Jokic and Murray and Porter and Aaron Gordon and KCP and guys like that. He'll be fine there. Also, underrated aspect of how Denver can get better, more home games. I looked this up because I wanted to I wanted to get this right. The Nuggets score the third most points per 100 possessions on the road of any team. It's what's kept them afloat so far because their defense has been horrible, but their offense has been good. The Nuggets score 115.3 points per 100 possessions. That ranks third in the entire NBA. Now they rank second in the NBA in points per 100 possessions at home, but the difference is that's 122.2. So Denver gains seven points per 100 possessions by just being at home. And I think that that confidence and that comfort and that ability to just kind of do what you're supposed to do in front of your home fans and just be operating at a healthy way, I think that's going to carry over. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't carry over. So 
Denver's offensive rating should improve by simply playing more at home. And when MPJ comes back, I think that'll change the dynamic too. I think you add more talent. Everybody has more energy as a result because you're playing fewer minutes in general. I don't think the Nuggets need to change that much. There will be some rotation changes here or there, but as Murray has become more capable of playing minutes, he's played 36, 35 in each of his last two games, I'm pretty sure. That is a situation where the Nuggets know, hey, he's just good to go now and he can play more time. You don't necessarily have to heavily rely upon Ish Smith at various points or Davon Reed or even Bones Highland if he's not playing well. You can go back to Jamal pretty consistently and he'll be pretty good. So I don't think Denver needs to make many changes to their rotation. I like the group that they are kind of eventually going to get to, which is your starters, Jamal, KCP, MPJ, Aaron Gordon, Nicole Jokic, and then Bones Highland, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Jeff Green, and DeAndre Jordan. I think that's going to be the majority of their time. Now, I think Jamal will stagger, and we're not really sure what that's going to mean for Bones, what it's going to mean for Bruce Brown, what it's going to mean for Christian Brown. It wouldn't surprise me if Christian Brown eventually he plays some power forward in some lineups and they go super small, or maybe it's just off the floor altogether, and you're going with Bones, Murray, and Bruce. Going pretty small there in general, but the Nuggets are going to have to find some ways to be better uh, with that bench unit. And if, if Murray is just a better version of himself, that'll help by itself. If not, I could see Denver trying to trade for somebody in the front court that makes a little bit more sense. Whether it's some six foot nine, six foot ten player that can play the four or the five, or if it's just a traditional five that's just a little bit better than DeAndre at generating good offense. Not sure what it looks like. But I do think that Denver doesn't really need that much. I think Porter, when he comes back, he'll need to play better. I think DeAndre Jordan needs to play better in general on offense. Turnovers are still a bit of an issue for him, although not as much lately. Zeke Naji, when he does get an opportunity, he's got to make the most of it. He's got to make more threes. He's got to take more threes. If that's going to be part of his game, he's got to prove it. He's got to do it. Christian Brown has not been a good offensive player when he's been on the court. Been a good defensive player, but offense has still eluded him for most of the time. So when he gets those opportunities, if he wants to prove that he can be a playoff player, he's got to score. He's got to be capable on that. Davon Reed, when he gets his opportunities, he's got to be capable too. I think Jamal Murray and Bones, those guys are still going to have to be better in general. Like that is always kind of an evolving thing. Murray's on that track already. Bones has his ups and downs. I do think that Bones, he's just got to be more consistent in general. He's been one of the more inconsistent players on the team. And if he can find good playmaking opportunities for other people, then that will go a long way for just everything that he has to deal with. Jokic, Gordon, KCP, Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, I think those guys have been fine offensively. They don't really need to change that much. There's nothing tangible that I can see that really needs to be different. Both those other guys, if you're going to get individual improvements that kind of make up better performance from the collective, that's probably where it's got to come. 
Michael Porter, just stability, being a very stable uh, floor spacing cutting option makes a lot of sense. And Jamal Murray, if he gets to the place where he's averaging like 23 and 6 relatively consistently, like heading into the All-Star break or so, that would be great. That's more of like over the course of this long homestand, over the course of this period of time, not necessarily on the season itself, because that means he would have to go pretty crazy because he was starting from a, a different place. But I do think that Jamal is capable of it. It's going to be a little bit slow. There's going to be some bumps and bruises along the way. Denver will have to manage that. They'll have to manage his minutes for sure too. But as long as they can find that little bit of basketball nirvana where everything is clicking with both units, Denver's going to blow out some teams. It's going to be hard for those teams. I hope they run a little bit more. I hope they push the tempo, make it more difficult for the opposing team. Because if they can do that, they're going to run some teams out of the building and it's going to be a lot of fun. But it's got to be intentional. Denver can't just go into these games hoping to match pace with them. Denver has to set the pace and they have to set it ahead of what the opposing team can do. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, I'll be back. Not sure if it's going to be tomorrow night. Maybe I'll have to record something on Thursday morning. But whatever the case may be, should be a lot of fun. Really excited to watch Monte Morris and Will Barton make their returns with the Washington Wizards. Should be very fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys for soon. Thank you.